Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. talk a lot about the environment while giving out wedding advice on this podcast and personal crisis advice. And, you know, I, in, in Don't Panic Pantry and in just the things that I talk about, I always try to talk about saving the environment and sustainability and doing what we can. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we had an expert on the show who knew just a tad bit more than me? So thank you for being here, Mark Bittman. Mark is the author of 30 books, including How to Cook Everything, which is a series, and the number one New York Times bestseller, VB6, Eating Vegan Before 6 O'Clock to Lose Weight and Restore Your Health for Good. He was a food journalist and columnist, opinion columnist, and the lead magazine food writer at the New York Times, where he started writing in 1984 and stayed for 30 years. Mark Pittman has written for countless publications and spoken in dozens of universities and conferences. And his 2007 TED Talk, which we have a question about in today's episode, What's Wrong With What We Eat, has almost 5 million views. His newest book, Animal Vegetable Junk, A History of Food from Sustainable to Suicidal, is the reason I have brought him here. Well, all of those amalgamation of reasons, but this is the thing we're talking about. He is at Mark Bittman on IG and Facebook, at Bittman on Twitter, and at The Bittman Project on Instagram, markbittman.com bitmanproject.com. You guys can also use Google to find any iteration of him. Mark Bittman, thank you for joining us. It's nice to be here. Quite the intro. I, let's do wedding advice. I'd rather do that than the environment, you know? Oh my God. It's all I want to do is rope people into questions from PhD students about how to make their boyfriend listen to them more. Uh, we'll do it at the end, but we had a lot of questions about this because my husband and I talk about it a lot, but it's time that people heard from an expert. So. Starting with, the first question comes from Anonymous. You've written so many incredible books covering the food space and continuously providing much-needed education to your readers. How has your approach to each new book shifted over the years? How do you stay on top of all that new information about the food and environment every day? Great question. Um, I mean, it's not that great a question. It's a great question. (laughs) It's not a great question. No, it's a really (laughs) interesting question to me. I'm not sure my answer is that interesting. It's I'm I'm compelled to find out about this stuff. I'm very restless. I had an interesting question. It's been a busy week for interviews, and I had an interesting question yesterday, which was similar. Um, it, 
things change and I like to, I like to stay on top of this. And, and in some ways you feel like, oh, I was wrong about this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, in my case, 30 years ago. And I'd rather be right than be known as being wrong. So I'm just, I'm really interested in, in this topic and, and my interest has evolved. It's expanded. I started writing recipes and now you know, animal vegetable junk is essentially a a serious contemporary this history book and, a, and an analysis of a contemporary situation. I really like it. That's I guess that's the answer. I really like well, it. Well, I think, you know, of course, not wanting to be wrong. And we do live in a culture where if you say one thing once, that has to be your opinion forever. But we're at such a I would call it a breaking point with our environment and sustainability and we're at such we're getting so much new information and I feel like people are paralyzed by options so I think having a book like this that kind of lays it all out maybe even a holistic view um is is paramount crucial it is holistic I think that's a good word for it Dax is a name hi Mark 12 years ago you did a TED talk entitled what's wrong with what we eat which is brilliant and still just as relevant to this day I was hoping you could speak more about food companies quote unquote, purchasing studies from shady institutions that further push their own agendas to make money. Of course, referencing the 2015 report on the American Society of Nutrition, uh, how it's legal for food companies to freely fund misinformation without pushback. So please elucidate on this scandal. I mean, I'm not an expert on this. All of that is true. It happens. Um, Lying... I mean, it's a funny thing to say, but lying is legal. If you present things as information, they don't have to be true. So uh, part of why advertising, false advertising is okay, is that it's being presented as information and that's a that's defended as a First Amendment right. So um, can you give an example of that? Uh, you can say, Almost anything is heart healthy if it's low in saturated fat. So um, you can say you can say sugary breakfast cereal is heart healthy if it's low in saturated fat. So uh, there's 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 examples of it all over the place. I'm I'm not thinking of any others right now, but but you can you can fund a study. You can there is also there are also regulations that say that that, and this is recent, that the funders of studies have to be revealed. So if a study isn't peer-reviewed, or if a study is funded by the Sugar Institute, it's not worth the paper that it's written on. You need to have studies that are independently funded and are peer-reviewed. That means read by the studiers, the researchers, peers, the people with similar credentials. And that gives you some assurance these days anyway that the study is worth looking at. Right. You want objective studies where it's the study was done, not even necessarily to prove an agenda, but just to see what the information is. Well, I mean, there is, I mean, yes, ideally, but everybody, almost everyone is doing a study because they have an idea. They have a hypothesis Mm -hmm. that they want to prove. So they're biased in some ways, but it's different from having an hypothesis uh, that's more or less uh, objective than having a point that you want to prove. Um, right. And especially if you're getting paid to prove that point. 
Yeah. So that's why I think you have to be autodidactic and read those labels, but also understand the labels and don't just read the advertising on the front of the box. It's about what's on the back of the box or don't eat from a box. It's probably a good place to start. Well, I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of interesting, for example, if a study is a, is a real outlier, I mean, there are, there's, I don't, I'm, again, I'm not an expert on this. But I've read a little I think about you it. Are. No, I'm really not. I think but you I've might read be. a little of that. I've talked to experts about it. Um, if a study is appears to have revolutionary information, so suppose there's a study that that says sugar is actually good for you. It's really great. Eat as much of it as you want. You are right to be skeptical. If a study is going against what has been common knowledge for a long period of time, if it's a real outlier, then it's probably not right. Either it's wrong or it's badly intentioned. So um, there's a reason that the weight of opinion shifts or the weight of knowledge shifts in a certain direction over time. And that's because study after study after study after study after study, for example, confirms that junk food is not good for you. We see this moving in that direction. If a study comes out tomorrow that says junk food is fine, it's really good for you, there's good reason to doubt that. I think that's probably why a lot of people are skeptical of the keto diet, which to me is just another iteration of the Atkins diet. You know, forever we thought fat was bad, you but are, now it's good. You are spot on with that because... Uh, as my co-author, I wrote a book a year ago called How to Eat with David Katz, who's an MD. And I read always, an interview with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah. If, and David always says, if the keto diet is so great, where are all the skinny people? Because it, why isn't everybody on it? Because right. Atkins started this thing, what, 40, 50 years ago? It's not like it's new. And if it worked, everybody would be doing it. But it doesn't. So a small percent it might work for a small percentage of people. It certainly doesn't work from an environmental perspective. That's besides the point. You're exactly right. It's it's reasonable to be skeptical about new diets in general. Absolutely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It happened to me. I didn't think it would, but it happened to me. I had a nasty bout of postpartum depression. Now, there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about what you're dealing with, and there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about it with someone. I definitely saw a therapist these last couple weeks because, you know, I spend my time giving advice to others, but I could use a little advice myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I'll tell you what, when you're already stressed or anxious, the last thing you want to do is battle traffic and sit in a waiting room and get your parking validated. I'm sorry, is that just an LA thing? You don't need to add all that. You can just sit in the comfort of your own home or a chair you like outside and you can talk to someone from BetterHelp. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time. No additional charge and it doesn't hurt their feelings. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Eliza today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Eliza. I'm busy. And this time of year gets even busier. I've had my baby. I'm back to work. I'm at meetings. I'm on tour. I'm running around. And I don't always have time to sit down for a meal with my family. Sometimes I get home from set so late and I just need to eat something nutritious and go to bed. And that's why I like Factors fresh, never frozen meals because they're dietitian approved and they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy I am, and I'm busy, I always have time to get a nutritious, great tasting meal. 
Factor has over 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So I never get bored. I'm trying to do less meat in general and they have wonderful vegan and veggie options. I just made a vegan mushroom marsala and I made an onion risotto. Just because you're eating vegetarian doesn't mean you can't eat deliciously. It had roasted garlic green beans. It was scrumptious. Head to factormeals.com slash Eliza50 and use code Eliza50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Eliza50 at factormeals.com slash Eliza50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, it's finally happening. The weather is finally getting warmer. So it's time to say goodbye to the jackets and cozy sweaters we've been hibernating in all winter. And it's time to say hello, bonjour, to shorts and t-shirts. And if you've been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, Quince is for you. I talk about Quince a lot because I really believe in a sustainable capsule wardrobe. And there's no reason you can't have a sustainable, timeless wardrobe for every season. And Quince has got you covered with premium linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable, silk tops, hello. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Dressing well shouldn't break the bank. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Look well. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash Eliza for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Eliza to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Eliza. Okay. What do you think is a bigger problem? What we eat or how it's produced from these big corporations and having large environmental impacts with a check to say they're okay? Or is it the media that pushes the same food agenda to as such? Let's forget that media part because it was a great yeah. question up until there. So great. answer the question you want to answer. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, if the question is, what is the bigger problem? What we eat or how it's produced? Is that can we sort of agree that that's the question? We can answer that absolutely. Well, you'll answer it. I'll listen. <laughs> I think it's just how do we make the kinds of choices that allow things to get better as we move forward? Right. Well, the thing is that th- there really is an interesting question in there, and I'm not sure if it's, it was your listeners' intention or not. But what we eat is obviously an issue, but we don't have complete control over what we eat. Some of us lack willpower, some of us lack money, some of us lack time. And and marketing, we've been talking about marketing and, and what's available is what determines what we eat. So the, the, the question, of course, we can make better individual choices. Many of us can, not all of us can. Many of us can make better individual choices. But if we make availability of good food more universal, more common, that's a production question. What we grow determines what we eat. So if this is a real statistic, 60% of the calories that are available in the United States today are in the form of ultra-processed food or junk food, then we are going to eat 60% of our calories from junk food because that's mm-hmm. what's out there. So right. to really change what we eat, as a not as individuals, but as a country, as individuals, in theory, we can do whatever we want, but not all of us can. To really change what we eat as a as a country, we need to change what we grow, what we process, what we market, what we sell. Can I, I want to, this is not a submitted question, but I have a thing about corn and this 
what I know about it, the government subsidized farmers, I think coming out of World War II, so we have more corn. Should we be making less corn? Are yeah. we forcing ourselves to eat corn and yeah. we don't want well, the I mean, corn? There's nothing wrong with corn, but you know, like less than 1% of the corn we eat is like in the form of corn kernels. Almost mm. all of it is processed into other stuff. So it's processed into animal feed, it's processed into junk food, it's processed into ethanol. Um, we should, you know, someone is going to ask in your list of questions is probably a question about food waste. Someone always asks about food waste. Food waste is a huge issue. We waste, I don't know, a third of the food we produce. But we're also wasting millions of acres of land growing stuff that isn't good for us. So that's right. another form of food waste is growing corn to process into junk food that then makes us sick, which makes us go to the hospital, raises healthcare bills. Someone's getting rich off that corn. Short. Yeah, absolutely. But someone's also getting sick off of that corn. So all the things that we're talking about actually raises my next question. And this is my husband asked me to ask this question. Oh, good. Because um, this speaks to the accessibility of good food for people who aren't able to get it. What do you eat if you're poor? What should you eat? You know, what? what's the best idea? I mean, it's a, it's a fine question, but often for for poor people, for people without money, time is an issue too. So mm -hmm. the, the easy sort of glib answer to that is to say there isn't a single traditional diet that isn't better than what, what's available to most people in the United States today. So if anyone says, oh, I'm going to eat the way my grandmother ate, they'd be eating better than if they ate the way most of us eat in America right now. Less processed. So if sure. that's... You know, if that's rice and beans or if it's food vegetables with with wheat or, you know, you can think of any country in the world, whatever the traditional diet is, any culture in the world, whatever the traditional diet is, it's better than mo what most of us are eating now. And it's also a diet that's been eaten historically by poor people. It's just that it's not that easy to get there. You know, it's, it's right. that easy to. Some people don't have the time to make, you know, traditional rice and beans, maybe with a little bit of meat, maybe with some stewed vegetables in there. It's just not that easy. So, so the, the question is, how do you make it easy? How do you make it possible for everybody to be eating a more traditional diet is what it amounts to. It doesn't even matter what the traditional diet is. Like literally every traditional diet is healthier than the standard American diet. Absolutely. Yeah, because of course it's easier to grab a bag of Cheetos than it is to grab an apple, right. a well, piece of imagine, broccoli, you got to make it. Right. Imagine if liquor stores and 7-Elevens and gas stations and drive-through windows were all, all making healthy, solid, real, good food available at the prices that they make Shitty food, if I'm allowed to say that, available. Sure. Yeah. You can I mean, definitely say it on this podcast. <laughs> and does that have to do with, you know, I remember one time driving through Italy, stopped at a gas station, and they had like, nothing's processed there. It's like ham sandwiches, vegetables. And I, I always thought it was because we just have espresso. more people. Espresso. <laughs> so then you'll never eat. So I just always wonder, you know, is smaller batch, local farmers, you know, is that a pie in the sky idea? Or are people just so greedy that we just want massive corporations feeding us because more people are making money? Is it all connected? 
It is all connected, of course. It's not a, a, it's a pie in the sky idea to think we can keep going the way we're going now because the status oh. quo is not sustainable. So something's got to change. It could change for the better. It could change for the worse. But if we're aware of what the situation is and we strive to make things better, then maybe we can make them better. But saying, oh, there's only one way to do it. We have to have these big corporations feed us. They have to like grow thousands of acres of corn and soybeans and process all this stuff into junk food because that's really the only way we can afford to eat that way. Well, it's not true. And and it's destroying the environment. It's contributing to climate change. It's poisoning our water, our land, our air, our people, blah, 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 blah. Well, everybody knows this stuff. So it needs to change. The question is, or one question is, how do you change it? What direction do you go in? It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fine question to say, can everybody in the world eat in a sustainable way? And then the answer is, yeah, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. So it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, it's not the mm. question that matters, but, but you, you know, the people who support the industrial food system will say, well, we have to feed 10 billion people. Actually, we don't have to feed 10 billion people. We need a world in which it's possible for 10 billion people to basically feed themselves in their own, themselves. in their own regions, in their own areas, in their mm -hmm. own countries. It's not up to us to say, we're going to produce all of this crap and send it out into the world. And that's a good thing. It's not a good right. thing. Not good for, you know, um, um, rich Americans. And, and it's not good for poor people in Africa and Asia and South America who are getting shipped this stuff. Right. We need sustainable, smaller food systems that empower people regionally to feed themselves. It's the reason we don't have one global government. There's a reason there are smaller... <laughs> Right. Well, government, there's that. State government. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Except we do have, in a way, there is one global government and it's multinational corporations. I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. It's not like I think they're sitting around plotting to take over the world. But in effect, at least when it comes to food, global corporations are driving a lot of what determines how everyone eats. Right. Absolutely. Tell, getting more granular. And there's no pun intended because this is not about grain. Tully <laughs> underscore S says, I love, with several E's, which are silent, I love steak, but find it hard to justify the environmental impact. What's the best way to be sustainable while still enjoying my favorite food? I mean, it's such a great question. And it's such an easy answer in a way, because the answer is you have to eat less of it. So there's, a, there's an interesting thing about, steak is a great example. I love steak also. If we if we say that maybe 5% of the steak, we're talking beef in the United States, is produced sustainably, and we choose to eat from that 5%, it's going to cost us a lot more money. That stuff is not as available. It's $15, $20, $30 a pound. Um, but it's way less environmentally damaging. It's probably better for you. It tastes better. You just have to eat less of it. So if you see steak as, you know, really a treat, and I've gone through periods, I mean, I'm I'm with this, this person. I've gone through periods of my life where I, I'd eat five steaks a week, often small ones, but nevertheless. Um, steaks. My kids used to tease me because they'd come home from school and I'd say, why don't we just split a small steak? You know, and, and <laughs> we did that. And steak was... $3 a pound at the time, and we're talking the 90s or whatever. Um, but 
if you spend a lot more money and you look for much better meat and you eat less of it, you sort it's sort of a win-win situation. You just can't, you know, I like, I'm sorry, my third interview today. You're I doing like, great. It's fascinating. <laughs> I, it's just, I like, um, you know, I like Snickers also, but I recognize that I can't eat them every day. So I, I, I don't. It's I could, a similar kind of thing. I like, there's a lot of things I like that, that you just have to like be aware that they can't make up the mainstay of your diet. I wonder if that really feeds into our American psyche of like, it's a land of plenty. Anything you want at all times as a kind of F you to the Russians. Like we're not in a bread line. We're having a dinner party all the time. And this gluttonous sort of, um, not so much intention, but uh, entitlement to having everything all the time because you can because it's cheap. And really the better way to be is this is a special steak that I got. And it, I think it makes it taste better when it's a special thing. Just like a candy bar. If you eat them every day, you're going to lose a foot. It's right. not so special. <laughs> right. Right. That's the other thing is that there's a, there's a, we're audio only, I assume, but there's a, there's a chart that looks like a big X. So if you just imagine a big X as Cost of food goes up, cost of healthcare goes down. As cost of food goes down, actually, it's like this: as cost of food goes down, still an cost of healthcare goes up. Wow! Um, the less That's you pay for food, the sicker you are. Look, we are—I don't wow. know—the United States um, was always in the top three or five in um, longevity, length of life, and now we're like fortieth. We're one of the sickest countries in the world. We spend more on healthcare than everybody else does. Right. And this is all about, largely about, if I say all about, I'm exaggerating. When I say largely about, I'm not exaggerating. It's largely about our diet. What we Absolutely. eat is making us sick. 100%. And and because we're American, we fight so hard to protect it. Yes. Like, is it the worst? That's our right. That's our right. Our right yeah. to eat what makes us sick. That's what makes us special. You'll pry this candy bar from my cold, dead hands, my <laughs> bloated, cold, dead hands. Jonesing for journals. You're asked, a riot. The, <laughs> I do what I can. What's the best animal product to eat, if any, that has the lowest environmental impact? And how do we know when seafood in grocery stores is sustainable? Oh, Those man. Two great These questions. are like awesome questions. Fish is the, I mean, with that, he knows that 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 fish is the answer. Right. Okay. Sorry. Um, Could be, I don't know who jonesing for journals. We'll just, I mean, Jones, it's just yeah, a, yeah, that's a, a, that's a tough one. Um, that person knows the answer is fish. Um, mm. And there's a, there's an interesting, I'll just get slightly technical for a second. There's a thing called conversion ratio. And it basically means how much food do I have to feed this animal in order to produce a pound of flesh? Okay, so for beef, it might be 10 pounds of grain for one pound of beef. For fish, for a variety of reasons, it can be as low as, almost as low as a one, a conversion ratio of one. Like you can feed it a pound of grain or whatever, a pound of food to grow a pound of fish. It's a little more mm -hmm. than that, but it, in some cases, it's not much more than that. So. Fish is by far the most sustainable, but there are so many problems with, with fish. As again, the, the listeners implying overfishing is a problem. A lot of forms of fish farming, aquaculture 
are problematic. Um, and then we can we could get into uh, contaminants and so on. But overfishing is is probably the biggest problem in fish. And and the, I think the answer is you can't buy fish in a supermarket. I really I'm sorry to say this because for years I supported um, I supported ways of trying to figure out how to be able to buy fish in a supermarket. I think there's really at this point there's two ways. I mean, you can buy from the fisher person themselves, but that's not practical for most people. There's really two ways, practical ways to buy fish. One is to buy the buy them buy it from a fishmonger you trust, and that's not a guarantee because the fishmonger doesn't know all that much. But if you have right. a well-intentioned fishmonger and they have a good line, they say, "Here's what I'm trying to do." And a lot of it involves really buying, to a large extent, buying fish that's uh, caught or raised in the United States. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm. You can tell I'm not a chauvinist, but the United States does a better job on the on fish as it happens than most countries do. So, if you have a fishmonger you trust and they're trying to get most of their fish from sustainable sources in the United States, and they have a good, they talk a good line and, and you believe them, that's a pretty good way to buy fish. These days you can buy fish, and we, we have some, we've met some of these people and we have them on our website, on Bitman Project. Um, you can buy fish direct from people who are either fishers or buying straight from fishers. A lot of that happens either in Alaska, uh, Seattle, the Washington, the Northwest, and the Northeast. It's happening more and more in, in um, New England and, and Eastern Canada. And that's, you know, fish gets shipped no matter what. So people will say, oh, I don't want the shipping and blah, blah. Ship, fish is going to get shipped. It might as well fish get shipped. Fish is going to get shipped. If you could, it might as well get shipped to you from as close a source to the boat as you can manage. And I think increasingly that's a way to do it. That's, you know, that's one positive upshot of the pandemic is I think we've expanded our, our notion of how we get good food. And it's, it's funny because I'm an advocate of local, I'm an advocate of local food, of course, but I, I, I get a lot of fish from, or I get some fish from Alaska because I know I can get it pretty much straight from the fishermen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, you'll feel better about eating it. I also think that there's something, you know, we're not eating wild cows. They need to be fed and fish are in the wild oh. feeding themselves. So it's even cheaper, better for the planet in the long run, as long as they're not eating tampons. If it's what, <laughs> if it's wild fish sustainably caught, that's a, those are big qualifications. So this person, so I guess, you know, you live in Iowa or something. So they're asking if you go to Whole Foods or something, is there like a blue check mark? Is there an ocean project stamp? Like, how do you know? Well, I mean, since Whole Foods, I mean, Whole Foods was ne was never entirely trustworthy, but since it's been bought by Amazon, I mean, who the hell knows Even what's less going trustworthy? on? Yeah, I will. who knows yeah, who what's knows? going on? Do um, the research. I mean, Kroger, you know, if you're talking about the Midwest where the biggest chain is Kroger, Kroger makes noise about buying and selling sustainable fish. I haven't done like an investigation into whether they're buying action. Stop and Shop, which is the biggest chain in the Northeast, I think, is is owned by, a, I think, a Dutch company called Ahold. 
And they make a lot of noise about buying and selling sustainable fish. So I don't think it's impossible. But, you know, you have to kind of look at the label or see the box mm-hmm. or say, where is this stuff from? And you have to where is believe, it coming from? You have to believe sure. the answers. And I think that's interesting, too, about American fish, because we think, oh, it's Chilean sea bass, which is a made up thing. Or, oh, it right. came from Japan. And it's like, eat a river trout. <laughs> eat something nearby. Eat it from Florida. It's OK. Yeah, that's interesting. When you ask someone what language they took in school, usually it's like with an eye roll. They're like, "Mm, French. It's like, do you speak French? No, I don't use it. I feel like a lot of us had difficulties learning a language in school. Rosetta Stone is here to change that. It's available on desktop and it can be used as an app on your phone or your tablet. Rosetta Stone are trusted experts for more than 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with an intuitive process and you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. That's right. You might even fool some locals into thinking you're one of them. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. I headed to Mexico City for a little vacation, and I used Rosetta Stone to brush up on my Spanish. Just a few things, a few verbs that I knew I had forgotten, and I was better. Mejor. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Ask Eliza Anything listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Eliza. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Eliza today. I do think there's something to be said for ordering something of quality and every once in a while getting a nice package in the mail with a product that you're going to own for a long time. Let me tell you about Bolin Branch's signature sheets because they're the perfect way to start upgrading your sleep, your room, the look of your room because they're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They are made with the finest 100% organic cotton. These sheets feel buttery soft yet super breathable and they're perfect for warmer summer months ahead. We have a house that we go to in the summer and I got all Bolin Branch sheets for the beds because we're having a lot of guests this year and I want them to feel like they're at a nice bed and breakfast that they didn't have to pay for. Bolin Branch sheets are free from toxins like synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde. I bet you didn't know that was in your sheets. And their signature sheets come in 14 versatile colors and they come in sizes from twin all the way up to California King. And Bolin Branch has a 30-night worry-free guarantee, which means you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them for any reason, you can send them right back with free returns on all U.S. orders. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Go to bolinbranch.com slash Eliza for 15% off your first sheet set, plus free shipping. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com slash Eliza for 15% off. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Nina Priestley, uh, hi, Eliza, Emily, and Snow Peach, and Mark, what's a great alternative or an easy staple for something that's gluten-free, nut-free, and meat-free? Eating healthy is often so expensive, and it's so hard to be good for the environment and our bodies when junk food is so much cheaper. Well, that's a lot of boxes. Uh, Wait. Gluten-free, meat-free. And and nut-free. I mean— a lot of junk food is hardly gluten-free. And, I, you know, if, if gluten is your thing, then you know what gluten-free is. But but most grains are gluten-free. All legumes are gluten-free. All, every single, every single, all, every single green vegetable is gluten-free. I mean, gluten-free, nut-free, and meat-free 
is the entire, almost the entire vegetable kingdom, except and for fruit, nu- maybe, except for nuts and wheat. So, right, it, this is not that challenging a question. It's really. not that hard. And also, isn't it something insane? Like it's like two percent of people are actually celiac, or something well, like that. Yeah, but I don't want to. You know, we talked. You and I talked half an hour ago. I, at this point, I guess about bad diets and trends and so on. And and for people who are not eating gluten because they think that not eating gluten is somehow a panacea, that's a mistake. But Mm -hmm. in addition to the two or 3% of people who are celiac and who are really can get sick from eating gluten, that number's going up. And there are people who seem to have gluten sensitivity that are not celiac. And we don't know why there is. And anecdotally, I'll bet you've heard these stories and I've heard them. I've, I've heard this same story 10 times. And the story is, I can't eat bread in the United States. I can't eat wheat products in the United States. And I went to Italy and I ate wheat products and I was okay. And I've heard that story enough times so that I think there's something about the varieties of wheat or the way that we're growing wheat here. Yeah. That's changed and that's wrong. And it's either the variety or the pesticides that are being used or the way it's processed or some sensitivity that some people have developed. I mean, I don't pretend to know what this is, but I do know that more people have just like, you know, you might not know this, but when I was a kid, everybody ate peanut butter all the time. That was like Mm -hmm. the staple was peanut butter. And now you know, you're not allowed to bring peanut butter sandwiches to school because so many kids are allergic to peanuts. Well, what happened? That's not what made happened? up. What happened? Yeah. Something happened. Something or happened. Or were they Everybody quietly dying when you were same... a kid oh, yeah. and no one noticed Maybe it? that was it. <laughs> Maybe just no one noticed. I Maybe was wondering was... where those kids went. I mean, uh, to support your argument, you know, I took my honeymoon in Italy. We're eating pasta all the time. No one around me is fat. Every woman is like a lingerie model. And you come here and we have like Maggiano's and Buca di Beppo and everyone's being wheeled in and in a, and wheeled in a barrel out. So it's definitely the sugar and the chemicals and the way that we make it. Yeah, part and of there's it is this portion war on size wheat. too. Yeah. yeah. Part of it is portion size too. Oh my God. Italian American food is such a departure from what actual Italian food is. Who knew? It's tasty. Who knew? We knew. Someone knew. Someone knows. Megan Mountain Sprite says, uh, hello, the indomitable Mr. Bittman. I've been getting through the never-ending merry-go-round of quarantine meals, partly with the help of New York Times cooking. Mark's recipes in particular have been, have, have great bang for your buck. Uh, okay. My question is, when your motivation to cook every single day starts to wane, yeah. where do you turn for inspiration? How do I know what cookbook will get me out of a rut do you have a favorite cooking podcast? Farmers markets are still a no-go here in Washington, so I'm starting to struggle. Please help. Thanks, Megan Trumper. Yes, that's my last name. No, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> we love Megan Trumper. We love um, Megan Trumper. And she called me indomitable, too. Mm, she did. I had days. Um, we had we had some, we had my kids living here. Uh, some of my kids living here, some of our kids living here last summer. And, um, and there was, we were cooking up a storm. I mean, and, and uh, going through tons of food and, and when fall came, my partner and I were living and my partner and I were living alone. Again, we'd look at each other and we'd be, 
like, can we just skip dinner tonight? Let's just like, can we just have cheese and crackers or, you know, right. I mean, I think there were, there were two nights in the last year. We basically had ice cream for supper. It's like, could we just have ice cream for supper? Cause I just can't stand the thought of it. So right. obviously Megan's experience is if not universal, then common. I don't know for me. It's like a day goes by. If I rest a day from cooking, if I get really mm-hmm. sick of it and I rest a day, then I'm interested in it again. But I'm I'm a freak because I've cooked almost every day for 50 years at this point, and not too many people do that anymore. I don't know. I think you know, there's a there's a cookbook for everything. So if you if there's some kind of food you're really missing because you're in lockdown, you know, whether it's you know, Thai or Armenian or Peruvian or whatever, go get that mm-hmm. cookbook and figure out something, figure out how to make the thing that that you're really craving. Because whatever it is, it's not going to be that hard. Right. It's not going to be that hard. I mean, you can uh, make sushi. There's nothing you can think of that you can't make yourself. I mean, almost nothing. You can't make right. a Dorito yourself. But I mean, real food <laughs> you can make yourself. Oh, a healthy, a homemade Dorito. Nobody (laughs) wants that. Nobody wants your mom to try to like solve it for you. Caitlin Connolly, 47. What's your favorite? I don't like cooking meal that isn't takeout. And what staples do you always have on hand to make healthy, sustainable meals? So we'll tackle the first part. What's your favorite? I don't like cooking that isn't takeout. What's left? I don't. I says I don't feel like cooking meal that isn't like, takeout. I, I, like, I mean, I, I do. To, I do make when I want to. Like when I have a half hour to cook and eat, and I don't really want to deal with anything, and I want something better than like a tuna fish sandwich. I make pasta. I usually turn to pasta, or I make like a little omelet, some scrambled eggs, stuff like that. I mean, really, the old simple things. Um, I. I have become good at, and I'm, you know, I'm not bragging. I'm kind of known for making really good stuff really fast. And, and I, I like doing that. So I'm not in that, I'm not in that particular position so often. Is the, it all the staples from, question? I mean, I was going to say, is it all from your head or do you ever look at your, do you ever reference your own book? Do you ever I reference, have to reference how to cook my own books if I forget stuff? I love like, okay. But this, like how do you use gelatin? I wanted to use some gelatin the other day. I was like, don't you have to soak it in water first? Because I haven't used it in like 10 years. Um she asked about staples too. And um I I have it I have really a well-stocked pantry. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was going nuts because I love to go to stores and especially specialty stores and buy tons of weird stuff. There's a Korean supermarket not far from here that I just was like, I can't go to that supermarket. I'm going nuts. But I have like, I usually have like five or eight kinds of beans and the same number of whole grains. And I have all kinds of, I have seaweed and I have dried shrimp and I have rice paper and I have rice noodles and, and, you know, canned tomatoes and stuff like that. I mean, I think the more you have in the pantry, the easier it is to take one fresh ingredient and turn it into something really amazing. Yeah, if you have the motivation. So you mentioned, how many kids do you have? Two. So you have two kids. Aaron asks, the question, this question is for Mark. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> I love cooking. 
And trying new foods, my daughter's 12 and she doesn't like vegetables or new recipes or anything other than macaroni and chicken nuggets. Do you have any tips on how to get her to eat anything else? Man, the chicken nuggets thing. Um, <laughs> I mean, my kids are adults, so it's not like I'm grappling with this situation anymore. But you must have at some point, right? Or were they always omnivores? No, I did. I would say, well, should we have a small steak? I think you know, when, my kids were, when my kids were growing up, we would say, here's what we're having for dinner. You can, you can partake in this dinner or not. And if you don't want what we're having, you can go figure out what there is in the refrigerator. And we didn't have, I mean, and 12 is certainly old enough to do that. We didn't have chicken nuggets, but we would have. I mean, they weren't really mm -hmm. as common then as they are, they are now. We would have. And um, I mean, that's not such a terrible alternative if they're high quality chicken nuggets. I mean, look, the kid's going to outgrow it. I think the best thing you can do is set a good example. Say, here's what we're having. We're having... You know, we're having pasta, a piece of fish, and a salad, or or we're having beans right. with little meat and rice and a cooked vegetable. This is what we're having. This is what we think is the way that we should be eating. Why don't you join us? And eventually, the kid will. Or worse comes to worse, the kid leaves home, and it's not your problem anymore. <laughs> At twelve, well, the kids set you know, up well, to find Taco she's Bell. Leave in five years, you know. So. Right. <laughs> um. If you could choose any other topic that you could suddenly be as knowledgeable about as you are about wow. food, what would it be? Wow. I mean, we won't I, hold there you to are the so answer. many aspects of history that I'm interested in. I, I think it would be it would be some of that. But, you know, sometimes I think if only I had specialized in football, I'd really be into it. But <laughs> I mean, this food specialized. stuff, this food stuff is really meaningful. And that's mm -hmm. that's been that's been the saving grace. In a way, we go back to your very the very first question that came to you, which was like, how do you maintain interest? How do you do this mm -hmm. over the years? I started by reviewing restaurants and cooking recipes and writing about that. And now I'm writing about these really serious issues in food that affect people's lives. And that's a really cool thing. I'm really happy that I specialize in that. So I guess if it were anything else, I'd want it to be equally meaningful, much as I love like reading about football and other stupid things. I, right. To make, it, to make it a career, I'd like it to have some meaning. I love that answer. And I also think what's fascinating about food and your career and it, it in a weird way, it's ever evolving our conversation about food, but in a strange way, a lot of things have always been the same. Yeah, you're right. You know, an apple's always good for you. What inspired you to create the Bitman Project and how has it changed or affected your interactions with readers? You get feedback so much more quickly than through a book. I mean, uh, what inspired me? I think what inspired me is the people I work with. One of the, one of the people I work with is my older daughter, Kate. And, um, she was working with me more and more on more and more projects. And there were uh, two or three other people, one of whom I've worked with for, I think it's 20 years. She'll remember better than I do. Another started working with me when he was graduating college and now he's 35. So he's been working with me for 12 or 14 years. And a third, fourth has been working with us for, for only a few years, but I've known her for probably 10 years at this point. 
I wanted to be able to um, have all of these people working for me and with me and have them be making a living and creating their own careers. And what's interesting about the Bittman Project is that although my name is obviously on it, I'm not always front and center and other people are more and more front and center. And, you know, your listeners are not looking at me, but obviously I'm getting older. Everybody does. And I am producing, we are producing a tremendous amount in terms of recipes, in terms of interviews, in terms of conversations like this one, which obviously take time and preparation. Um, all of this stuff we're doing now as a team, and I'm, you know, I'm the at least the spiritual leader, if not the the physical leader. But I, you know, it's named, it's named for me, and it's named for me because I have a following. But we are trying to do new things. I don't boss other people around. We're 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 tackling different subjects. We're we're saying things in different ways. Obviously, I'm 20, 30, 40 years old older than the people who I'm working with. And they have different ways of looking at things. And mm -hmm. I respect that. And I think that, I, you know, I, I didn't, I guess I just didn't want to be just another OWG who was like, <laughs> you know, living off his reputation or doing the same thing that I've always been doing. Right. I mean, cookbooks are still, I love cookbooks and I obviously, you can tell from this conversation, I love cooking and I cook new things all the time. And that's great, but everything is changing. And you can have so much, I mean, this is this is a this podcast is a perfect example. You can have so much direct contact with the people who are interested in what you're doing. And you know, when I first started out, even when I became sort of popular, I'd get like four pieces of mail a week. And, right. you know, it was and they'd be like handwritten things from old people you know, who had nothing better <laughs> to do. And then it accelerated, accelerated email. And blah, blah. and now, you know, you could respond. I could respond to a thousand people a day if I want directly sure. if I wanted to. So we do. It is it's like everything has become kind of the way radio always was. That is, you're broadcasting, but you also get so much back from. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think there's less, I think there's less hate stuff and less bitterness and less meanness than there was even six or 12 months ago. That's my experience is that we. Oh, what we could seem, it have been? Yeah. What could it have been? <laughs> what we could seem it have to been? Be, we seem to have made the Bitman Project. We seem to be connecting with people who. I mean, obviously, they're fans. They're people who respect what we're doing. So we get occasional, like we posted some stuff um, about yesterday's verdict this this morning, and um, you know the George Floyd thing, and and we we thought, okay, we might get a bunch of hate stuff, right? We don't know everybody who's subscribing to us, and it's like really positive response. So I think oh, we're. I think you know, we're connecting there's enough stuff with... that, yeah, you can follow the, like, the, there's enough avenues out there and there's enough information. People follow people that they love and we kind of only do that and we don't factor in any, there's no, there's no time. There's so much information out there. And especially with something that you're doing that is only coming from a place of seeking information, love to an extent, making the world a better place, mm. not necessarily vilifying a specific person. And this is about making people better. Um, 
I don't know who, I mean, I do know who wouldn't like that, the people yeah. making Doritos, but for the most <laughs> part, for the, for the, for the masses. So this podcast is called Ask Eliza Anything. People write in about all kinds of things, but we have two non-Bitman specific questions and I would love to ask your advice. We do this at the end. Do we do get Probably to do wedding planning questions now? I think or? one of these is a wedding. Is Yeah, uh, <laughs> I see the word wedding. I'm going to read you two, and then we'll yeah. do Top of the Cob, and then I'll release you. Anonymous, I'm a 28-year-old female, and I have an older sister who's 31. Wait, how old? She's a what? How You cut out for a second. Oh, sorry. She's a 28-year-old female. She says, I have an older sister who's 31. We usually get along great, but I've noticed some changes between us over the past year. Late 2019, I got engaged and my now husband and I got married in December of 2020. Throughout the engagement and up to the wedding, my fiance and I noticed that my sister and mom grew much closer. And when we would get excited about things related to the wedding, the excitement would be reciprocated or we would, would not be reciprocated or we would get judged and we would end up toning down our excitement around them. Aww. Fast forward four months married, and my husband and I put in an offer on a great house and showed my mom and sister. Again, we were very excited. This house is a dream home for us uh, while making them, but during the walkthrough, it made it seem like they wanted to be anywhere else but there. Any thoughts? This wasn't directed specifically to me, was it? Just because no, I, this is I know so much about life in general. But this is perfect, but it's it's it was Beshert that uh, we had it for this podcast. <laughs> I love it. You know, we're doing a podcast, Kate, my daughter and I primarily, but I mean, it's a Bitman Project podcast, and we keep trying to think of, like, unusual stuff to do. And one of the things we think of doing is, like, wacky questions. So, here, I mean, for me, this is a pretty wacky question. But isn't the answer like totally obvious that they're envious? Oh, it's so obvious. Right. So what are you supposed to do? I mean, I think all you can do is like in the best possible spirit of love, you have two options. In the best possible spirit of love, you confront them and you say, I, I wish you could be happier for me. It seems like you're not happy for me. I feel like you're envious and that makes me so sad because I love you so much. I mean, that's one option. The other option if you is do. To, right, if you do, the other option is right. And especially if you don't, the other option is fuck them. <laughs> <Yeah, just, laughs> I mean, what are you gonna I, do? I go with that one because no one's gonna admit she's not gonna be like, you know what, you're right. We're really jealous bitches well, and we hate you. You don't I say you're you suck. You're really jealous. You say, <laughs> I love you and I want you to share in my happiness. And I feel I feel somehow that you're not as happy for me as I want you to be. This someone could figure out how to say this really well. I may not be the right person, but I'm pretty sure those are the two options. You either say, I'm not talking yeah. to you for five years, give me a call, or come on. Get with the program. I'm in love with this guy. We're super happy. We're going to buy a house. We want to invite you for dinner. We want you to be happy for us. We want you to be part of the family. But it's only if that's the kind of family it is. Right, which it probably isn't. Yeah, Not everyone is a communicative New York Jewish family like ours. So some of these people, it's... Listen, my family is terrible, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for one more... Wedding question, but I, I have would like you to answer that one also. But I guess we oh agree sure pretty much we agree. I you know because we don't have a ton of context, so I don't know right. is the sister always kind of a bee about it. But I I can say 
having had friends who get a little wincy when your light shines bright, you are not under an obligation to dim your light because of somebody else's rods and cones. Yes, right. You know, we want to find you one more wedding one and then we'll do top of the cob. Hi, Eliza, Emily, and the whole pod squad and Mark Bittman. This doesn't need to be anonymous. My name is Elizabeth. Longtime listener, first time writing in. What do you think of this wedding dress? <laughs> I'm going to show you, Mark. I know having you look at a picture on a podcast doesn't make for the best listener experience, but I'm also afraid, um, but I'm so afraid of dress regret. I could honestly use some humorous validation from my favorite comedian. Keep in mind, my venue is a mountainous rustic barn. All right, Mark, I'm going to show you the picture. Wow. I can't wait. I mean, she's beautiful, right? It's a, what, what are you going to say? What a beast. What are you right, going to say? Well, I guess that's true. Um, but it is a little, does that, that doesn't scream mountainous rustic barn to me. Okay. That's fair. Right. It's, it's whimsical. So if you want to be the most pristine thing there. I mean, uh, look, she loves it. You can tell she's happy in it. Isn't that what matters? That's what matters. It's also, uh, Elizabeth, not an ugly dress. No, it's a nice dress. That's that's it's true. It's a nice dress. And no one's going to like well. scoff at you. Yeah, I think that that's, I think it's a beautiful dress. For those of you listening, it's off the shoulder. I don't have, I lack the lexicon to properly, my wedding dress was one material. This is a lace overlay. Mark, how would you oh, describe yeah, that's, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say as long as long as it costs less than $200, I think it's a really good buy. Oh, boy. Oh, she's going to be wearing a Ralph's bag and some Crocs. She says, my wedding isn't till May of 2022. Elizabeth, do not buy the dress yet. Right, no, calm the fuck down. (laughs) But keep that place reserved because they're going to get, but just wait. And invite us. We want to see you in all your glory. And we want to know what you're serving. More importantly. All right, Mark, this part of the podcast is called Top of the Cob. What? Why? It's the top of the cob. We're doing it right. Every day, you just take a bite. Top of the cob. I've been, I've been thinking the same thing since, you know, like late January. No, late January. I have the same answer since late January. Donald Trump isn't president anymore. That's your top? That's absolutely like every day I wake up and like, This is really good. Donald Trump isn't president anymore. And actually, the world is a better place. I'm 70 years old. You haven't been able to say the world is a better place every day for 100 days in a row my whole life, I can tell you. So it'll wear off. But as I said (laughs) before, there's kind of a window of optimism now. It's like I, I feel like the the curtain is lifting. Stuff is getting better. I do feel like that. I could be wrong, but you know, this is. But isn't the, feeling it half the battle? Well, for you know, for this, we're talking about what I'm feeling. We're not talking sure. about like an objective measure. That's why I had to ask you if it could be trivial yeah. and not well thought out. But that's. I mean, my life is is good, but. I mean, I'm a relatively happy person. I have a lot of good stuff going on, et cetera, et cetera. But I got to say, when Joe Biden got inaugurated and when he started to say good stuff and when Donald Trump went away, I just feel like life got better. Yeah, definitely a weight lifted. Uh, My top of the cob has, 
is not as huge as that. It is when my dog stretches, I like to take her back legs and her front legs and pull them a little bit more so she gets a little bit of an extra stretch like you get at the end of like a Thai massage where you're like, does this hurt? And I think she appreciates the little extra stretch we get her tiny body. Yeah. Bottom of the cob. um, My bottom of the cob is looking at cartons, boxes, and seeing how they always tout what isn't in the product so that you don't ask what's in it. Like this almond milk has no pork. You're like, well, it's not supposed to. So this. Gluten-free. <laughs> uh, what's your bottom? Yeah, gluten-free. And what's well, your bottom of the cob, Mark? I mean, I kind of bummed out today because yesterday I was prancing around and it was spring and I went for a run and I was peeling off layers and it felt all great. And we just had this thunderstorm come through here and now it's like 40 degrees and it's supposed to go down to 25 tonight. And. I'm bummed out about that. Minor, obviously. Minor, but it's still valid. It's still a bottom of the cob. Well, Mark Bittman, I'll read your credits again. I screwed a whole interview in the trash in the recycle. Where are you? I'll move, Eliza. I'm in Los Angeles, and oh, judging are. by that chair and that wall, I think you're in the Northeast. Yeah, I am in the Northeast here. That's like a Connecticut chair. Well, I'm in north of. I'm in Putnam County, about 50 miles north of the city. But okay. I'm really lucky because my partner runs a nonprofit that's on a farm. So I get to live on a farm. <gasps> How wonderful. Yeah, oh, really I love great. that. Yeah. We thought about getting chickens here and then I was then we rethought it. Chickens are awesome. What town do you live in? We just live in Hollywood, like in Los Angeles. Yeah, I don't know how um, awesome chickens are in Hollywood. Unless you're up, are you up in the canyons. We're up in the canyons, but uh I've definitely have I definitely have uh, late night camera footage of foxes and coyotes sitting on my patio furniture. So perhaps we spared the chicken. You need a coop for chickens. So yeah. Got to get a coop. Well, folks, if you, of course, you found this interview fascinating. And if you want to know more, you can follow him at Mark Bittman on Instagram and Facebook, at Bittman on Twitter. And please check out Bittman Project on Instagram and markbittman.com and bittmanproject.com for all things relevant to food, sustainability, our world, and our place in it when it comes to food. Mark Bittman, thank you so much for taking time. Thanks for everything. It's really fun. Take care. His newest book, Animal Vegetable Junk, A History of Food from Sustainable to Suicidal, is out now and it is very important. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh-generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.